0: Some content in this episode may be sensitive to some listeners. Discretion is advised. The saloons of the United States are responsible for over 52,000 murders which have been committed in this country in the last 10 years. And the blind tigers and juice shops of Waycross are responsible for the murder of Mrs. Lyles and her child. If there is anything any lower down than a juice shop, it's the man who runs the thing. State prohibition is assured, and the vital thing now is to see that the law is enforced when it goes upon our statute book. It can be enforced, and those who work so The two pieces you just heard read came from an early Waycross newspaper called the Waycross Journal. The year is 1907. I'm Connor, and I'll be your host for this episode of Tracking the Extras, part of the podcast, Tracking the Cross, covering all of Southeast Georgia history. Temperance. The abstinence from alcohol for medicinal and recreational purposes was quickly making a name for itself. Groups dedicated to its cause such as the Women's Christian Temperance Union are fighting tooth and nail with the gospel as their shield to enforce temperance as the law of the land. Although national prohibition of alcohol would be nearly 15 years later, 1907 would be the year Georgia stakes its claim as the first state in the south to go dry. In such southeastern communities like Waycross, Temperance was already in full swing. It seems as though this railroad town has branded one certain individual as an enemy to prohibition and all that it stands for. Someone who can be blamed for the closure of all the juice shops in the area. One, Harry E. Lyles. The February 1st issue of the Waycross Journal paints a tragic scene of what took place the Wednesday evening of January 30th, 1907. Murdered wife and baby, H.E. Lyles used shotgun, had been drinking very hard ever since Christmas, says he was not drunk but that shooting was an accident. Mrs. Lyles was but 17 years old and came from Moultrie, Georgia, had been married 18 months. Harry E. Lyles, a young white man about 25 years of age, shot his wife and child Wednesday evening about six o'clock, the former dying immediately, and the little child dying early Thursday morning from the effects of amputating its arm which had been shattered by shot. Lyles had been drinking for several days, and on Wednesday went downtown and got his gun, which he had loaned to a friend. Liles got the gun about noon, and had been walking about the streets with it for some time. People who knew Lyles was drinking asked him what he was doing with a gun, in answer to which he stated that he was going to send it to his wife's home at Moultrie, where he would shortly go for a hunt. It developed, however, that Wednesday about 2 o'clock, Liles was in a restaurant and had threatened to shoot Mr. B.H. Thomas of this city. Thomas owns a barber shop which Liles has had leased for some time. Liles had been drunk since Christmas and Thomas had revoked the lease. This angered Liles and it is supposed to be the reason for his threatening to take Thomas's life. Shortly after Liles made this statement, Thomas passed him on the sidewalk and though he had the gun in his hands, he made no attempt to attack Thomas. Wednesday morning when Liles went to his home on Eads Street, he was so drunk and abused his wife so terribly that she told him she was going to her mother's home in Colquitt County. He then told her that if she ever left him, he would kill her the first opportunity he had. While talking to her, he fell over on the bed in a stupor, and she was so much frightened that she took her child and went to the home of her great uncle, Mr. H.T. Arrington. Lows went after her about three o'clock and persuaded her to return to their home. Shortly after they arrived at the house, the shooting occurred on the front veranda. Lows' statement as given to a journal reporter Thursday is as follows. I have been drinking for several days and yesterday morning was drunker than usual. When talking to my wife yesterday afternoon, she told me that I had gone home in the morning so drunk that I did not know what I was doing. When I went to the Arrington house after her and asked her to return home with me, she would not do so because I had treated her so terribly she could not live with me. I told her that she knew I was drunk in the morning and that she could not hold me accountable for what I said or did to her if I would promise not to do so again. After some persuasion, she consented to return to our home on Ead Street. As we were walking home, she told me that I had threatened to kill her that morning. I told her that she knew that I loved her so dearly that I would kill everybody in the world and myself before I would kill her, and that while I did not remember threatening her life, yet if I had said it, I was intoxicated and that I did not know what I was saying. On the way home, Liles further stated that he and his wife and baby went by his barber shop and that he stopped at a place uptown to get his gun. He said that he cannot remember where he got the gun. When he asked why he had gone after the gun, he stated that between Arrington's house and the barber shop, he had consented to send his wife home and that he got the gun for the purpose of packing it in her trunk and sending it with her. Liles said that they walked on home from the barber shop and as they went in the gate, he left the gun leaning against the fence by the gate and that he and his wife went on into the house. While she was preparing to go away on the six o'clock train, he went out into the yard to walk about as he was very nervous from his long siege of drunkenness. He states that he had forgotten about his gun that he had left at the gate and went to get it and was carrying it in the house to put into the trunk. As his wife came out the door with her wraps on and the baby in her arms, on the way to the depot. In taking the gun from his shoulder, Lyles says that he accidentally pulled the trigger and that the gun discharged in his wife's face. And this excited him, so he supposes, that he pulled the trigger again, which accounts for the second shot which was fired into the floor of the veranda. When asked if he was so drunk at the time of the shooting that he did not know what he was doing, Lyle stated that he was not drunk at all at that time. He says that he was nervous and somewhat excited, but that he was not drunk. When asked if he was positively sure that both shots were accidentally fired, he said, My God, man, yes! Do you think that I would shoot my own wife? The bodies of the dead mother and baby were carried to the undertaking chapel of Lot Fane and Company where the coroner's inquest was held. The verdict of the coroner's jury was willful murder. When seen this morning, Lyle seemed to be in a better condition than he has been since the shooting. Reverends Scruggs and Whittington went to the jail to talk to him, but he had little to say. When asked if he realized what he had done, Lyle stated that he did, but added that it was an accident. Wednesday night and all day yesterday, Laws was in such a condition that Dr. Johnson was called upon to prescribe for his broken down nerves, and while he is in fairly good condition today, he refrains from talking about the affair. Mrs. Lula Johnson, mother of the unfortunate woman, arrived in Waycross last night, but left with the bodies of her daughter and the little baby this morning for Moultrie, where they will be buried. Mrs. Johnson lives at Murphy, Georgia about eight miles from Moultrie and is a widow lady. She is broken down with grief and the only statement she made while here was that Laos had been cruel to her daughter on a number of occasions before this. Judge Parker stated this morning that he did not think that there would be a special term of court to take up the case as the regular term of court is only a few weeks off. Laos says that he was born in Cleveland, Ohio and that his father and mother have both been dead for a number of years. He is very gray, and when asked the cause of it, he stated that he has been gray ever since he was 14 years old. He has no brothers or sisters, and says the only relative that he knows of is an aunt someplace in Ohio. The morning news prints a long story this morning in which it is stated that Lyles has always been a hard drinker and a very careless man when doing so. It states that he worked in Savannah for some time, and while there, he was arrested upon complaint of his mother-in-law, whom he left destitute, but she was persuaded to drop the prosecution and his case never came to trial. Jilted a girl in Charleston, it is alleged, and borrowed money to get married, but left town instead. How premature Judge Parker's prediction about the court being settled only in a few weeks' time ended up being. Flash forward to Friday, October eighteenth, nineteen 1907. Were you to read the White Cross Journal on this day, the headline would say, Cases are in Supreme Court, several from this circuit. Lyle's motion for new trial will be heard on Monday. It continues, One of the most important cases that will be before the Supreme Court will come up next Monday, October 21st. Harry E. Lyles, now in Ware County Jail, has a motion for new trial, and this will be argued Monday in Atlanta by Judge J.L. Sweat, who, with Judge John T. Myers, represents the alleged murderer. Harry Lyles is not mentioned again, until the March 7, 1908 issue of the Waycross Weekly Herald. It tells us his attorneys, Judge J.L. Sweat and John T. Myers, had petitioned the Georgia Supreme Court to grant a new trial due to alleged irregularities, but the case was refused. This will mean the hanging of Harry Lyles unless Judge T.A. Parker or the prison commission intervenes. Then the community of White Cross steps in. On March the 20th 1908 the headline reads Petition for Lyles. State of Georgia Ware County to the Honorable Prison Commission of said state. Whereas Harry E. Lyles was convicted at the April term 1907 of Ware Superior Court for the offense of murder in having intentionally shot and killed both his wife Eula Lyles and their infant child at their home in the city of Waycross on the evening of January 30th 1907 and having been placed on trial at said term for the alleged murder of his said wife and the jury being unable to agree a mistrial was declared by the court Whereas being again placed on trial at an adjourned term of said court in May following, he was convicted without recommendation and sentenced to be hung. An emotion for new trial having been made and overruled and the case carried by his counsel, Judge J.L. Sweat and Judge John T. Myers, who had been appointed by the court to defend him, to the Supreme Court where it was argued in October and after being considered by said court for several months was finally on March 6, 1908, affirmed. And whereas, while his guilt has thus been established beyond a reasonable doubt, yet inasmuch as there was no eyewitness to the killing, and it is possible that the shooting may have been accidental, as Laos had always claimed it was, and as Judge Warren Lott, who himself has since met death from the accidental discharge of his gun, testified that from an experiment made upon the scene with Lowes' gun, and as he demonstrated before the court and jury, it was possible for the shooting of both barrels and the killing of both the wife and child to have happened just as Lowes claimed it did. Therefore, giving Lowes the benefit of such possibility in the interest of humanity, and with the hope that the law will, under the circumstances, be sufficiently vindicated, we the undersigned citizens of Wake and Weir County petitioned that his punishment be commuted to life imprisonment. On the morning of April 16, 1908, the case was argued before the prison commission. The following day, the Atlanta Constitution printed this account of the argument and of the Lyle's story. There was argued before the Prison Commission on yesterday morning the petition of H. E. Lyles of Voitras, under sentence of death, for the alleged murder of his wife and baby in that city on January 30, 1907, one of the most remarkable ever heard. It was presented in a speech by Judge J. L. Sweat, which lasted throughout the morning. The Supreme Court has affirmed the decision of the Low Court, saying Lyles must die for his deed and the court is to name the date in a few days. An appeal to this board is the last resort, and Judge Sweat and attorney John T. Myers are now seeking to have the death sentence changed to that of life imprisonment. According to the statement of the defense, the mother and child in her arms were killed accidentally by the father, firing two separate shots with a breech-loading shotgun. According to the state, it was cold-blooded murder the shotgun, which was a hammerless one, was submitted as evidence. The defense claims that Liles went home on the afternoon question with his gun, that he loaded it and, intending to fix it so his wife could use it, pushed the safety catch so it would fire at once. It is said that he threw the gun on his right shoulder with the sight pointing to the ground and walked up the steps with his two fingers on the triggers. It is said that his wife, coming out of the door with the child in her arms, called to Lyles to take the child. That in attempting to do so, he pulled the gun from his shoulder, it aimed at her and accidentally fired, killing her instantly. The baby fell to the floor and the gun, dropping still lower, pointed at the child and it fired again, killing the baby. On the morning of April 24th, 1908. As soon as the docket was sounded, Judge Parker ordered Harry E. Lyles brought into court to be re-sentenced. Before passing sentence, Judge Parker reviewed the case from the date of trial to the present. Lyles was sentenced to hang on Tuesday, May 26th between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., the hanging to be private. During his honors talk and while passing the sentence of death, Lyle stood and faced the judge. No sign of agitation was visible on his countenance. Lyle was dressed in a light summer suit with patent leather shoes. His hair has turned a little gray since his last trip to the courthouse, but otherwise there doesn't seem to be any change in the man. He is still confident that his sentence will finally be commuted to life imprisonment but doesn't like to talk about the case. In the death sentence, Judge Parker named doctors J.L. Walker and FC folks as physicians, whose duty it will be to attend the execution and to determine when Laos is dead. It comes as no surprise that this news had been ruminating with Laos for quite some time, causing him to turn to religion. Some months ago, Lyles was asked to be accepted as a member and to be baptized into Waycross's first Baptist church. In the event that it occurs the following Sunday, Reverend Scruggs of that church will either baptize him in the Satilla River or at the Waycross jail itself. It has been nearly a month since Lyles had been sentenced to hang in the Waycross jail. The gallows among where Lyles will be hung are being directed in the northeast corner. May 29, 1908. Shortly past noon, Sheriff Woodard of Waycross received a telegram from Governor Hoke Smith in Atlanta ordering the delay of laws hanging until Tuesday, June 9th, when a proper hearing would take place. Also, Judges Sweat and Myers undertake to show So it is said that Liles had been drinking Waycross juice for some time previous to the shooting of his wife and baby, and that while not intoxicated, his reason was dethroned. It is generally known and conceded by the people of Waycross that drinking this Waycross juice would make a person crazy. On June 12th, 1908. A counteroffer is being made to the commutation of Lyle's life imprisonment. The citizens of Ware County, including one very concerned, anonymous one writing into the editor journal, claims that Lyle's actions have been shown to be proven deliberate, claimed Lyle's had no sympathy for his actions and the ones he murdered, and claims that his last statement was fabricated in lieu of his lawyers and the Georgia governor, Hoke Smith. Dr. W. N. Yanni stands by the revised decision of the jury to seek verdict and believes the death penalty should be abolished completely. On June 18, 1908, 2.50 p.m., Hoke Smith, governor of Georgia, refused the application of Harry Laws a commutation of sentence following the Prison Commission's decision to not recommend commutation. As it stands, Harry Lyles will face the death penalty at the Ware County Jail on Tuesday, June 23rd sometime before noon. The day is June 26th, 1908. It's a Friday. At 12.17 p.m., Harry E. Lyles is hung from the gallows at the Ware County Jail for the claimed accidental murder of his wife and child. 21 minutes following this, he was pronounced dead by the physician's home site. Lyles' neck was broken by the drop, and his body remained motionless. Rev. W. H. Scruggs of First Baptist Church of Waycross decorated Lyle's cell with flowers. He also conducted Lyle's funeral. Harry Lyle's actions, whether intentional or not, proved to leave a long-lasting legacy, not only on Waycross history, but that of the history of prohibition itself. What was turn-of-the-century Waycross expected to take from all this, and how will these events shape the remainder of Prohibition up to its passing on the national level, and on to its repeal in future years and beyond. At the beginning of this episode, you heard that Waycross Juice Shops and the name Harry Lyles were intrinsically linked. But the story of Prohibition did not end with his hanging. Stay tuned and follow along with us on our journey. You can find us on Facebook at Tracking the Cross, spelled Tracking the X, as we delve into our next episode, Prohibition in Southeast Georgia. Thank you so much for tuning into this very special episode. I'd like to give a huge shout out to my good friend Jody Parrott for providing, among other things, harmonica and lap steel as the soundtrack to this podcast that you hear right now. See you again soon, wherever you listen to podcasts.